Greetings, everyone. This is Peter DeArger with episode 12 of Y2K and Autobiography. This episode is going to be a little bit different. As I've been going through all my storage files looking for stuff for this podcast, I've been running across a few tapes, cassette tapes. One of the ones I found was a recording of a session, keynote session, in 1995, 25 years ago, a quarter of a century ago. I finally figured out how to put that into a digital format, and that's going to be the presentation this week. Why do this? Well, I've been accused by some, some of the naysayers, that by doing this podcast, what I'm doing is shining up Y2K, you know, saying things that weren't exactly real. And I figured the best way to demonstrate that we were talking about this very, very differently than Newsweek and Time magazine and the rest is to actually present in whole a keynote presentation that I did back in 1995. I did that with some trepidation. I can't remember what I said 25 years ago. And I've listened through it, cleaned it up a little, a little bit. It was an old cassette. And it's acceptable. And I'm pleased to say that practically everything I said in there, with one or two teeny tiny exceptions, came true. So, without any further ado, it'll be a little bit longer than normal. It's about an hour and ten minutes, hour and fifteen, with this intro and a tiny epilogue I'll add at the end. So, sit back, get on the time machine, and we're going to head back 25 years. Uh, it's about 11 o'clock, so why don't we go ahead and get started with the session. My name's Larry Underwood, and I'm here to welcome you to the session on uh, systems for the year 2000. And so if you're in the wrong place, you know, now's the time. You can bug out. Uh, and to introduce our speaker, Mr. Peter DeYager, um, I don't know if any of you attended the uh, information management conference that we had in Orlando this time last year, but uh, Peter was our closing speaker at that session. And, uh, well, we still invited him back. Let's just put it that way. Um, Peter's been in the uh, information systems area for about 15 years. You, you may have seen his name before in a lot of things that Loma does. He's spoken at a lot of Loma meetings. He also is uh, executive editor of the uh, ASM Systems Journal, so you might have seen his name there as well. Um, he said that you wouldn't have to take copious notes uh, today on this subject because uh, there's going to be an article on this very subject coming out in the May issue of, uh, of Best Review. So you may want to look for that. May issue of Best Review, an article on this very subject. Uh, I asked Peter uh, if he could give me a brief rundown on what he was going to be speaking on today. Basically, he said uh, two digits. Uh, I said, you're going to be speaking for an hour and 15 minutes about two digits. And um, after a long silence and a look that said to me that you're only slightly insane, uh, he said, oh, I could speak for many hours on those two digits. So um, we'll see how, how good he does. I've heard Pete, uh, Peter speak. He's, uh, he always has a lot of interesting things to say, a lot of good ideas. And he's uh, also a very entertaining speaker. So uh, I think you're going to get a lot out of this session. And I will turn it over to Peter DeYager. Peter? Our society is built on trust. Every one of you has implicit trust in dozens of people that you've never met. My guess is that most of you came here via plane. 
Some of you drove. I would bet dollars to donuts that none of you had ever met the pilot personally. That you had no idea if they were having a bad air day or not. <laughs> and yet you got into that plane and said, okay, I'm at your mercy, take this couple hundred tons of steel and plastic and other inflammable fluids, fly up into the air, take me a couple hundred miles to my destination and land this sucker without crashing it. Tremendous amount of trust in someone that you've never met. Right now you're sitting in a building and up above your head there's a couple of hundred tons of steel and plastics again. Until I pointed that out, most of you are quite content to stay. <laughs> you don't know the architect, you don't know the builder, you sort of wipe it from your mind that it went to the lowest bidder. <sighs> and you sit here in comfort and safety and convenience and all that good stuff and you don't even care. You don't even think about it. We have a tendency to trust professionals to perform the task for which we are paying them and we hope that they're going to do it right so it doesn't fail. Well, a tremendous amount of trust has been placed in the IS, Information Systems Professionals, to build systems, competitive edge, strategic weapons, to take our companies into the future. A lot of trust was placed in this group. And unlike the building that we're sitting in, most of our stuff has an expiry date. On a particular date, it's all going to stop working because the trust placed in us was placed in us in error. We're new at this. Jerry Weinberg, a guru in the industry, has a wonderful little quote. He says, if architects built buildings the way that programmers wrote systems. The first woodpecker along would destroy Western civilization. The sad part is that woodpecker has arrived in the form of the year 2000. And it's also arrived early, and we'll talk about that. I have an internet email message just last week from saying someone, someone says, Peter, this sounded like chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Yesterday, Yesterday we put in our first five-year contract for this year. And our system went into a loop. It couldn't handle the expiry date of the contract, which would be year 2000-00, five years out from 1995. And they went in and did what most organizations are doing right now. They're putting in a kludge, a glitch, a something to patch the error. And if you speak to organizations that are doing that, well, you can patch the first time it happens. So you put a Band-Aid over that leak on the plumbing. And the next time it happens, you've got to put a bigger Band-Aid on. And then the other one starts leaking. And before you know it, your entire pipe is nothing but Band-Aids. That's what we've built. What I'm going to talk about today is that 
It is an industry problem. There's no one particular individual responsible for this. The other thing I need to say is that usually I speak about change and creativity, and I'm usually a motivational speaker, and you go out of here feeling good and all the rest. Today is bad news, folks. You're going out here more depressed than you've ever been before in your life. And I hate giving this talk because I don't get good reviews. Most depressing speaker I've ever heard. My next meeting planner doesn't really understand what I was talking about, and they say, well, we're not going to hire you. You're depressing. Jerry Weinberg has another saying. He says that what we've done in the computer industry is sort of, we've created a debt, sort of like the, the pension plans and the old age security systems put in by governments that is coming due down in the future sometime. But there's a particular date when it's all coming due. And the estimated cost for that, and we'll do some calculations to show you where these strange numbers come from, is one half a trillion dollars to fix the problem worldwide. And there's some real interesting things happening in our society, in the media, in that this topic is not being discussed in the media properly. Oh, you can find lots of articles. You can go to something like Information Canada. Information Canada. Scientific American. Yeah, I come from Canada. <laughs> I have a cultural boss. Scientific American talks about uh, data storage mediums decaying and the fact we can't retrieve the data. So there is some sense of being future computer issues being of concern. And then you go to something like the American Scientist. Great magazine, great article. For those of you who want to take notes, Daniel, the February issue, 1995. Great article on the year 2000, computer problems. The problem is, look where it is. American Scientist magazine. Where it needs to be is in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Oh, and it does make it there from time to time. You get one inch of column space. Scientists predicts that all computers are going to go boo-boo in the year 2000. Business person reads it, says, well, it didn't get much space. It can't be that big a problem. Let's ignore it. I got a phone call from Australia. TV show, sort of like the Letterman show. They're thinking of having me go down to Australia because they think this would be a real funny, a funny little interview. It would be humorous. That's part of the problem. You want to know how they found out about it? The research person who works for this show thumbs through all types of magazines looking for interesting topics. She found a little couple of column inches about the subject that referred to the New York Times article, another one or two inches, that referred to the computer world issue in September the 6th, 1993, the in-depth column. And they tracked me down that way. The little two-inch column that she saw originally was in a New Age magazine, right next to another article which had caught her eye. And the article was, Alien Abductee Talks About Operation in Space. <laughs> right next to that, there's this computer problem. Would you as a business person take this problem seriously? No way. Mainstream press has not been writing about this. So you go up to a typical business person and say, um, excuse me, I have a little bit of news. We, we need a couple of million dollars. We have a small maintenance problem. Well, what's the problem? You know, uh, we left off two digits. You've got to be kidding. Didn't you know it was going to happen? 
total disbelief. We're going to talk about where the problem comes from and what we need to do, because there are two problems. One is a technical problem which we can solve. All we need is half a trillion dollars. We can do that, though. We have that money lying around. It's not being used. The other problem is getting the awareness and getting people to start doing something about it. Show of hands, and in this room, my prediction is 50%. How many people in this room have a year 2000 compliance project in the works today? Show of hands. Not quite 50%, about 30%. The rest of you, it's too late. Kaiser Permanente just completed their project and took them four years to complete. If you started today, if you left this conference right now, this instant, went back to your office, it would take you six months of justification before you have a pilot up and running, a SWAT team looking at stuff. And you can't wait till the year 2000. You have to have it done complete by 1999. January the 1st, 1999 is your deadline. Because everything else from there will be a one-year time span and you'll be into the year 2000 and everything will crash. We'll talk about the specific reasons why. What's the problem? Why did it happen? How big is it really? And what can we do? Those are the four questions you need to ask and get answers to. So what exactly is the problem? Well, in short, that's the problem. That's a recognized date standard. With everybody who uses a computer and who don't use a computer, Anybody write a check lately? What's the number you write in? 95. Ask someone how old they are. What year were you born? 55. It's indelibly marked in our brain. This is how we think about it. Why should we have to say 1900 all the time? We're in the 1900, we're in the 20th century, 19. So we don't have to say it all the time because that's repetitious. It's boring. It wastes time. It's inefficient. It's ineffective. So we drop it off. Anybody here with a laptop? Any laptop computers in the room today? Oh, good. Now, I'm going to ask you if you want to participate in a little experiment. I'd like you to open up your laptop, and I'll get back to you. And what I want you to do is set the date to December the 31st, 1999. Set the time to 23.58. In other words, two minutes to midnight. Friday to December the 31st, 1999. When you've done that, power off your PC. I'll come back to you in a few moments and ask you to power it on again. And we'll see what happens. This is a Trojan horse that we put into our systems. In the beginning, we put it in for some very, very simple reasons. There wasn't enough space on an old Hollerith card to add in those extra two digits. I mean, we only had 80 characters. So putting those two digits in was a waste of space. We could use that to indicate something else. That was our initial rationale. Now, the other thing about it is that we thought that it was okay to do that because back when these were the thing to use in the 60s and the 70s, no one in their right mind thought that the accounting program I was writing in 1968 would survive until the year 2000. That is crucial to the whole process. We didn't think our code would actually survive. So this was okay. Now this is also important when you look in the PC area. 
Because there now there are something like 90 million PCs out there in North America. Now, nearly every software program that I'm aware of, in other words, databases and spreadsheets, all of that stuff has correct date formats available to it. In Lotus 1-2-3 or Excel, if you look at the date format, there is room for four characters. However, a user putting a spreadsheet together doesn't always use the date format. Quite often what they will do is they will have a year column where they will type in 95. They will then do calculations on that year column and that sits in every one of your spreadsheets throughout your entire organization. So the fact that an application has the ability to manage the century correctly does not automatically mean that your users have been doing that. How many thousands of spreadsheets in your organization, especially since you've never done an audit and you don't have policies and standards, how many of those applications have this thing embedded inside them? In perhaps a Lotus macro that is 500 statements long and no one can read a Lotus macro. Especially since the person who wrote that Lotus macro has since left the company, there is no documentation for that spreadsheet, and they continue to use it on a daily basis. They are not even aware that there's a problem. This is not just a programmer problem. It's anybody who uses computers and who hasn't thought out far enough to the year 2000. This sits ticking away in every one of our applications, every data file that we have, every bit of computer work that we have, this is sitting ticking away. Category one is the simple, simple rollover situation. If I ask the computer today, and for obvious reasons, some of you can figure out why, this FOIL is never going to be updated to 1995, I think it's apparent why. If I ask the computer how old I am, it says 94 minus 55, and it says, Peter, you are 39 years old. It will stay like this forever. In the year 2000, the computer goes along and says, Peter, you are minus... You're a zero, zero, minus 55, and it comes back and says, no, you're, you're minus 55 years old. So if you're trying to get your license renewed, and it's checking your age, you haven't been born yet. You're not entitled to a license. Now, some programmers were a little bit smart. They said to themselves, it is not possible to be a negative time span in any way, shape, or form. So what they will do in a situation like this is that they will take the minus and drop it off. They will just ignore it. <laughs> which says you are now 55 years old. Either answer is wrong. Now, what are some of the implications? Well, let's say on December the 31st, 1999, just before midnight, you phone up your spouse, your lover, whatever, and they happen to be in Japan at the time. And you, you stay on the phone over the New Year mark. And you hang up 10, 15 minutes later on January the 1st, year 2000. The computer system at Bell goes, hmm, how long has this person been on the phone? Or maybe it's MCI. Now this is important because they have these discount plans. How long has this person been on the phone? Well, 00 minus 99, because that's when they got on. They've been on for 99 years. 
Now, even with the most frequent caller 25% reduction plan that they have, that's a lot of money. What happens if you're driving home that night, get into a car accident, go to the hospital, and you need a blood transfusion? Well, one of the things they have to do is they can only give you blood that hasn't expired, that's fresh. So they go into the inventory system and say, do we have any fresh blood, type A? And the system goes in and says, no, everything's 99 years old. No blood for him. Well, how about a painkiller? Well, that's got expiry dates on it, too. Well, what are some other things? Year 2000, January the 1st, is a Saturday. Year 2000, 1900, was a Monday. Let's say you're a city, and that your city program manages traffic flow. It, it manages the traffic lights in your city. On January the 1st, 00, it's going to say, ah, that must be 1900, so let's turn all the traffic lights to the Monday schedule to handle rush hour on the Saturday, and that's not a problem. There's hardly any cars on the road on Saturday anyway, so you don't notice it. Nor do you notice it on Sunday, the Tuesday schedule. Along comes Thursday, rush hour. It switches over to the weekend cycle, good luck. What if you have a bank fault? That only opens up on Monday, and it opens up automatically at 9 o'clock because that's when everybody comes into the organization. On January the 1st, year 2000, the bank vault opens. <laughs> all of these things are what-ifs, maybes. They all fall under this category, one simple rollover. If this were our only problem, then the problem wouldn't be half as big as it is. This is the one that most people think of. In this one, it really is just a situation. Well, go in and find all the date fields. Yeah, we have a small problem because we don't have any standards about how we name things. And therefore, finding where the date fields are is going to be a little bit tough. But we have been getting good by using copybooks repeatedly. There are ways to automate that task to find out where the fields are. It is possible to compress four digits into a two-byte field. You could automate that process. The trouble is, this is only the tip of the iceberg. If you've been thinking that, well, you know, someone like Bill Gates is going to come up with an answer and solve this, Peter, so we don't have to worry about it, we don't have to start now, we can worry about it later. If this were the only problem, I would say, well, yeah, you're sort of right. There is no automation tool that can fix the problem that we're faced with. And I will show you specifically why. The reality is, is on January the 1st, year 2000, most of our systems won't be working then anyway. Now, could you rewrite your accounting system in two or three days? Unlikely. Otherwise, you'd have done it already. Could you rewrite it, working overtime, 24 hours a day, everybody in your organization, including the secretaries and the clerks and everybody who becomes an instant programmer, rewrite your systems in three months. 
let's say yes. Let's say it takes you only three months to write, rewrite your accounting system. How long can you survive without cash flow in your organization? Three months? Most organizations are running on one week. If they were out of cash flow for one week, they'd be bankrupt. Banks are not allowed by law to have their doors closed by more than, what, was it four days? You're not allowed to close the bank longer than that. It's got to do with its system integrity and confidence in the banking system and all the rest. What if they can't do it? What if their systems die and it's going to take them three months to fix? Some interesting things are sitting in your wallet. Everybody in this room has a credit card. 60% of the banking systems cannot handle an expiry date that ends with zero, zero. Banks are issued four years out, right? Rather, credit cards, their expiry date is four years out. In 1996, most credit cards will not be able to be renewed because it would give them a zero, zero at the end. How many people here have a license? Everybody in this room has a license. Take it out. 45 out of the 52 states protectorates that you have have a zero, zero, have a two-digit expiry date. Most of the DMVs cannot handle or produce a zero, zero expiry date. What are they going to do next year? Instead of a four-year cycle, you're going to be switched over to a three-year cycle. And in 1998, they're going to switch it over to a two-year cycle. And in 1999, they're going to say, no more roads. <laughs> because we can't issue the licenses. They've been trying to renew the, the, the DMV system for years. Well, they don't have time anymore. They don't have the luxury of time anymore. They have to get it done soon. Most of them aren't doing anything. I said there were two problems. One is the technical problem. Let's just throw money at this thing and get it solved. The other is the fact that when I ask how many people are doing something, 30% of you put up your hand. The other ones sit there and say, oh, and some of the excuses we've all been hearing. You see, this is the thing. The computer industry has known about this problem for years. Go to any ASM meeting, Association for Systems Management. Data Processing Management Society, Canadian Different Processing Society, go to any of these groups, their conferences over the last 10 years, and this is what we did. We would go off to the major presentations, none of which we were talking about this problem. None of them were talking about the problem. And here's an interesting one. Where is my datamation? What are the five major issues facing IS professionals in 95? This is not one of them. It's not mentioned. Half a trillion dollar problem, and it's not one of our bigger ones. I guess the big one is deciding which Windows version of Windows to install on our PCs. You go to these meetings, and this is what happens. You go to the sessions, no one's talking about the problem. You go down to the bar, you sit around the bar, and we talk about this. You guys doing anything about year 2000? <laughs> not me. I'm not going to be in that company in the year 2000. What do I care? I'm going to be retired by then. Someone's going to come along with a silver bullet and solve this thing for us. What do I care? I didn't solve the problem. I didn't create it. And the other one, which is very, very human of us. Yeah, right. I'm going to go off and tell the CEO that we left off two digits and it's going to cost us $10 million. 
Oh, and by the way, if they don't do it, they lose the shop. I'm going to be the one to bring that news to their attention. Let Mikey do it. Let someone else do it. And quite frankly, we've been negligent. We have been negligent as professionals in this problem. We should be placing it in front of them and telling them which systems are going to fail when. Yes, we're sorry we, messed, we made a mess up. We are sorry we, we fouled up. But we did and it needs to be fixed. Otherwise, you don't have a policy management system. You don't have a benefits system. You don't have a payroll. You don't have an account receivable. You don't have an accounts payable. Because none of this stuff's going to work unless we fix it. Now, I know that we've created the code because, you see, I was a programmer and this is doing penance. This is why I'm giving this talk. I'm doing penance because I know I've written systems where we only have two digits. I'm thinking back to specific things that I did that I know were not going to work when the zero zero hits that field. Oh yes, and I pointed it out. I mean, I raised my hand in the, in the meeting because I just come out of school and I know a lot about computers because I just learned the stuff. And I said, but, 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 but what about the year 2000? We have to put this. Peter, you're, you're new to this organization. You're a novice programmer. You're, you're a maintenance program. Shut up and just do what we tell you. To do it any other way would take too long. I can see by some of the grins that some of you have been there. And what did we do? We knuckled down and we went off and did it. We did it wrong. And now it's coming home to roost. Half a trillion dollars. Half a trillion dollars worldwide. Our planning wasn't very good. Planning department, we don't quite know how to put the doors in. See, the basic truth of it is that it was because of humility, not arrogance, that the program has this bug. When I was writing a system in 1970, in my mind I said, listen, the chances of this system still running in 1980 is about 75%. The chance of it running in 1990 is maybe 50 to 25%. The chances of it running in the year 2000 is nil. This thing won't be around. You see, because we're new at this. The computer industry is new. It is a baby industry. We really know nothing about how computer systems evolve. We thought that we would build a program. It would work for about eight years. And then we'd build a new one. We'd replace it the same way we replace our automobiles and the roof of our houses and any other technology that we use. I buy a suit, I'll wear it for a couple of years, I'll buy a new one. I write a program, we'll use it for a couple of years, we'll build a new one. That isn't how it happens, you know that. You have this nice pristine application in your organization. It's pristine for about one day. And then someone comes in and says, we'd like to add the following line of business, or we'd like to make the following change, or the government has a new regulation in. And do we say, well, okay, fine, let's scrap that one, let's write a new system for that. Now what we do is we take a kludge, patch, or, and who do we get to do this? Maintenance programmers, people just out of school. We don't give that work to the best people in the organization, because it's drudge work. So we give it to the novice programmer. We say, go in and make this fix. It's called maintenance. We attach this kludge onto the system. 
Five days later, we attach another one, and another one, and another one. And this thing grows like an onion. Different layers of complexity on the outside. And this thing lives way beyond the eight years that we had in our mind as a normal lifespan of a system. Today, we call them legacy systems. Why legacy? Because they were left to us by all the other programmers who have died already. They don't exist. How many of you have in your organization an application that has the full development team still in your organization? Let's ask it another way. How many people have applications who the development team, there isn't a single living person in that organization there that was involved in putting this thing together? And of course, you have all the documentation you need about it, right? Every, well, no, you're laughing. You got it. That's part of the methodology. You have all the documents? No, of course you don't. You have the source code. Hey, that's better than some organizations. I, this is a question I ask a lot. How many people are running black boxes? Compiled code that you don't have the source code for. You have no real idea what it does anymore. But it's been working for the last 10 years. So leave it alone. What if you have to fix it? What if in 1999, it's one of those programs that can't handle the date? What do you do? You have no idea what it does. It's huge. It's compiled. You, you don't have the source code. You do, certainly don't have any documentation. How do you go in and fix that thing? It's a big task. Bottom line in all of this is that to fix this problem, some human being has to eyeball every single line of code in your organization. That's the bottom line. And ask yourself the question, is this a date-related activity? Now the other thing is that every single piece of datum that you have is date-related. Now usually we get some Discussion on that. Peter, not everything has a date stamp on it, and I would question that because the file that it's in has a date. Or the tape that it's on has a date. And this is where we start getting into this other problem. When I write a system in 1970 or 80 or even 90 that I know for a fact will not be around in the year 2000. That allows me to be clever. That allows me to do the following. I can use the year 00 to indicate something else. Also 99 and 98 and 01. One of the first organizations I got involved with went into their invoicing program and we discovered something unique. The year 1999, 99, when it appeared on an invoice was an indication that that invoice was coming from the boss's son-in-law and was therefore entitled to a 30% discount off the bottom. And the programmer's rationale was, this was a rather unusual switch. Therefore, it shouldn't appear anywhere else. It should be embedded in the date of the invoice. This is the type of problem 
that cannot be fixed via automation. Because the logic switch itself is legitimate. It's okay to say, if a certain condition is true, perform this action. That's an okay statement. Trouble is, they've embedded it in the data. So if you're going to automate the fix, how do you do that? Do you add a new bit? Do you add new data? Do you change the program? How do you change it? Where do you add the bit? Where do you switch the bit on or off? Also, 1999, the 999 was bad, the 98 was bad, so was 01 and so was 00. How many of you remember using 99, the year 99, as an end of file marker? If the, yeah, someone puts up their hand like this. If the year is equal to 1999, if it's equal to 99, end the file, stop the program, run is complete. How do you fix that automatically? Those types of logic switches are the things that boost this cost to the atmospheric levels. And we're all guilty of them. We can think about things, how, how they've happened. Okay, how big is it really? One of the estimates is 35 to 45 cents line of code. For every line of code that you have in your organization, figure 35 to 45 cents per line of code. Now, I hate numbers like that because you have no idea where they came from. These numbers happen to have come from several conversions this organization has done, and they say we have 90 million lines of code and this is what it costs us to fix, therefore the average cost was so and so. But you have no faith in that. We know that we shouldn't trust anybody anymore, so don't. Instead, do some of the calculations with me. How many major applications do you have in your organization? 50? 100? Let's say it's 100 applications, major applications that you have. How many modules, program models, modules, are in the average application? 1,000 is not unreasonable. 1,000 sub-modules per every application. You are up to 100,000 modules already. Let's assume that your programmers are the absolute best in the marketplace. How long does it take a top-notch programmer to go into a single module, take it out of the library, read it, understand what it's doing, change it, test it, document it, and implement it? Let's say three days. Three days per module. You're up to 300,000 days of effort. You have less than 1,200 days left. How many people do you have to start working tomorrow to be complete? What's your cost for a day of effort? $300? $500? 300,000 multiplied by $500, the number is rather large. And yet there's still some of you in the room who aren't doing anything. Your organization is going along on its merry way and saying this is not a problem. 
it's, we're okay. Now, maybe some of you are. Look, there are some organizations on the planet who actually put in the two digits right from the start, and they are okay. They have been for years. There are lots that aren't. Did anybody do the laptop thing? Okay, you want to power it back up? Okay, what's the date? January the 4th, 1980. 97% of the PCs in your organization will come up with January the 4th, 1980. Some people say that this isn't a problem. That it doesn't exist. That it really doesn't, isn't there. Now, what's going on in the computer? We're not exactly sure. We're trying to get Microsoft and, and IBM to tell us exactly how it's picking up the information. Because you see that not all, it seems to be an operating system problem. But then again, it might not be for the following reasons. If you boot up your PC with Windows 95 or OS2 warp, the computer comes up with the correct date and time. On the same machine where if you boot it up with Win DOS, it comes up January the 4th, 1980. Now, the, the date on the computer is kept in a particular source and then moved into the BIOS. It's kept in a real-time clock, RTC, that ticks over every second or whatever. That information, when the power machine is booted up, is transferred to the BIOS, which is then picked up by the operating system when the operating system comes up. Now, there are several ways this thing could be wrong. We know for a fact that the real-time clock must be correct because OS2 warp and Windows 95 can get it right. So at the very, very least, they're picking it up from the real-time clock. Maybe. Another option is that the real-time clock is passing the information over to the BIOS, but the BIOS is messing it up somehow. Windows 95 and OS2 Warp know how to unmess it up and get the right date and time. And straight DOS picks it up and, and messes up. We're not sure how. And it's real tough getting... IBM and Microsoft in the same room to talk about this knowledgeably. 97% of your PCs. And for those of you who say, well, Peter, I don't have that problem because I get my real-time clock, I get my time from my server. Power off your server, too, while you're doing your test. And uh, you'll see that most of your LAN comes up incorrect as well. Now, what does that mean? Let's say you weren't running a client-server system. And it's got time-stamped information involved somehow. Well, if the real-time clock is wrong, if the system time is wrong, all your applications are wrong by definition. Everything reverts back to 1980 when we still had the Berlin Wall and Trudeau was Prime Minister of Canada. It's not something you want to contemplate. These are some other numbers. You can make up the numbers however you want. My suggestion is that these, for the most part, are meaningless to you. Until you go to your own organization and say, okay, what systems won't work? What is going to fail? When do we have to fix it and what do we have to do? Forget the numbers. Forget other people's statistics. And put a SWAT team together of at least three people to, let, to take a look at some of your mission-critical applications and identify which ones are going to crash or have real problems when the year zero zero happens. Keep that there for a moment. There are two types of crashes. One is a quiet crash. 
The other one is where the program stops working or goes into a loop or won't, just won't do it. It reads the first record, it says end of file and stops. So the program comes up and dies, comes up and dies. You should be so lucky that that happens to you. That is what you want to happen. The quiet crash is a little bit different. The quiet crash is that your invoices or your policies, all of them marked 1999. 1999 means that the invoice has been canceled or the policy has been canceled. And then automatically sends out cancellation notices to every one of your clients. Because that's, no one checks these things anymore. It goes through the system, a piece of paper is produced, is put into an envelope and mailed. No one eyeballs it to say, is this okay? There's no human intervention anymore in many of this stuff. If I deposit $100 into a bank in 1998 at 10% interest, in 1999 the computer is going to configure, say, 99 minus 98, it's been in there for one year, it's $100, the interest is 10%. That same hundred dollars in 1999 going over to the year 2000, zero, zero, minus 99, gives you minus 99. Minus 99 years interest at 10%. And they send you a bill saying that your loan has been outstanding for 99 years at 10%. Send us the money. Which is okay because all you have to do is wait for your visa card to come in. Because Now you've lent them money for 99 years and their interest rate is much, much higher, 27%. <laughs> so you're going to come out ahead of the wash. You know. There's a large New York newspaper that sells lifetime subscriptions. By that they mean five years, six years, something like that. For the last few years, When they've entered into the subscription, the expiry date, the computer has kicked it out and said invalid. So what they've been doing is putting it in for a year so that the magazine can be sent out, the newspaper can be sent out every day. And then as they've entered it into the system, they're putting it into a large cardboard box. When the new year comes in, they move the cardboard box to the other side of the table and they enter it in for another year again because it would take too long for them to change the system. It's easier to move the cardboard box around from one side of the desk to another. There's a particular insurance company who was doing insurance on five-year leases. And because they couldn't do the five-year lease anymore, because it went to 1999 and for some reason they couldn't handle 99 correctly, they said, okay, fine, let's change that. And this was done by a programmer at a four o'clock in the morning call. Let's change it from a five-year lease insurance piece of business to a four year. So they just made the change. Didn't tell anybody. They were doing that for two years. One day the CEO and CFO are sitting in a meeting like this and they get asked the question, have there been any year 2000 date problems in your organization? CFO, CEO go, no. Programmer at the back of the room says, excuse me, there has been one explains what the programmer did to solve the problem, and it turns out because of the change, they were misquoting their business, and they had understated their earnings by $10 million a year for the last two years. 
because of the number of policies that they had manipulated in this way. Most organizations are beginning to suffer year 2000 problems. How many people here have experienced some type of date glitch? Show of hands. A cluster of people over here. Same company? <laughs> okay. The rest of you, maybe you've written your code right or something's happened and maybe there's some programmer who you wish you were in this room right now who would tell you that there is a problem. Your biggest problem is going to be getting management to do something. The person with the bucks. Let me describe some of the things that's going to happen because what basically what you've done is you've gone in and told your organization that they have a terminal illness, pun intended. Kubler-Ross is a clinical psychologist, works in oncology, and basically has put together a model for how people undergo a change that is notice of a terminal illness. And there's a series of stages that people go through. My expertise is on change. This is one of those situations where her specific model is very, very appropriate. This is what's going to happen. You're going to go into your CFO, CEO, whoever it is that's going to sign the big check to authorize a $10 million maintenance project starting tomorrow, I hope. And the first thing you're going to come across is denial. You've got to be kidding. You left off two digits. This is a big problem for you. Didn't you know the year 2000 was going to happen? How stupid. You've got to be kidding me. This is an April Fool's joke, right? They're not going to believe the problem at all. Denial. The next one is anger. You did what? And it will definitely be anger, you see, because all of a sudden you've taken full control away from them. They have no say in the matter anymore, and you're the one who did it. Now, luckily, most of us in this room are able to say, hey, I wasn't here when these programs were written. I was somewhere else writing them for someone else, but I wasn't here. <laughs> Anybody be in here being with their company for 25 years? Okay, your best strategy is as follows. <laughs> you see, because you have a problem. <laughs> Hi, we have a problem. No, wait, by the way, I was the one who created it. I was the programmer back then, right? Okay, you, you, there is a strategy. You have to team up with the others who are in their organizations for 30 years. And this is what you do. You swap jobs. <laughs> First day on the job, you go to your office. And you come running back to your CEO and say, boy, are you lucky that you hired me. You know what I've just uncovered? A date problem. <laughs> uh, we have to laugh at this thing, but otherwise we're going to start crying. Anger is, is an emotion that you're going to have to ride out. It will be directed at you. The trouble is it's an industry problem. There's no one person in this room that is responsible for this. Uh, the person you tell this news to isn't going to buy into that immediately. Their first inclination is going to be to, to hang you, draw and quarter you. They're, they're going to look for blood to shed. Because it's $10 million down the hole when in the middle of a recession that isn't over yet, they want to get someone. The next stage, denial, anger, bargaining. 
well, do we have to change everything? What if we just said, well, any number, any year less than 30 is the year 2000? Couldn't we, couldn't we do some of that type of stuff to reduce the impact? They will try and bargain with you to try and reduce the impact of the problem. And they will come up with lots of suggestions. Doesn't anybody have a solution out there? Let's call Bill Gates. Maybe he can do something. He's the only computer wizard they know. After that, there's something called denial, anger, bargaining, depression. They're going to go off to their bar with their, other, their CEO friends and their CFO friends or with their spouse. And they're going to say things you don't, you won't believe what these dummy IS fools did back in my office. Our entire corporation is on the brink of disaster because they didn't put in two digits. And there will be a sense of depression. They will get through it. And the final stage, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Okay, we have a problem. What do we have to do? That's when they're ready to sign the check. But no matter who you go to, you're going to have to ride that out. Be prepared. There's no way to avoid it. It's not nice. It's not rational. They should go straight to acceptance. Just sign the check and let me out of the room so I can get back to work. It ain't going to happen that way. You're going to go through that emotional model time and time again. So get ready. What can you do? First off, Certainly position as being non-personal, you didn't do it. it. This is an industry problem. Everybody is suffering. You're no better or no worse than any other organization in the world. Don't point to some of the few who actually wrote code right from the beginning. Do point to a laptop computer or the desktop computer on the person's desk and go through that little exercise and say, hey, I'm not the only one. Everybody's done this. That will take some of the heat off you. And it's important for them to recognize it's an industry problem. It's not one foolish person who did this. It's that we're a young industry. We're learning how to put this stuff together. We're making it up as we go along. That is the reality of it. We took the title of professionals way before we had a right to. Maybe it was given to us way before we had a right to be given it. We're making this up as we go along. This is something you're going to have to face. The other thing is start having the answers right up front, as much information as possible. Now, some of the information is going to be, what programs do we have to modify exactly? What is our risk? What's our exposure? What could we do without? See, the thing we're, we're, we're going to be fighting against, we promised we would solve their problems. Give us your data, we'll maintain it. Give us your systems, we'll take care of it for you. Now, we didn't really expect that in the year 2000 this would uh, cause a problem. And they're going to remember some of the statements that you made 15 years ago. We will write the most competitive program you've ever seen. It will save your business. Those are written down somewhere. They're going to come back to haunt you. The interesting thing about it is that there are ripples in the past because of this. I mentioned the email note from someone who's put together a five-year sales contract for the first time this year. It's March. They got their first one landed this year. They aren't doing too good, obviously. That five-year contract puts them into the year 2000 in some aspects of what they're doing. So it's not a year 2000 problem. 
1995 problem, it's certainly a 1996 problem. A lot of things are on four-year renewal cycles. In 1996, a lot of these things start impacting us. One of the things that you need to do is identify the critical applications that you have and where they sit on this continuum. Your most critical application might be accounts receivable. But that might not be affected until 1999. So it doesn't have to be solved until then. Another application that might be forced down on your critical list might be impacted in 1995, November, March time frame. Which means that you have to start working on that one first. There might be other opportunities for you to say, hey, we were going to take this system and rewrite it anyway in 1999. So let's just bring that forward and start rewriting it now. A lot of organizations are saying to themselves, we're going to go to client server. We're going to go to new, new technology platforms. Well, now's an here's an opportunity to do it sooner rather than later. One of the things this may do for you for the very, very first time is that it will allow you to create a portfolio of all your systems and try to identify who owns them and all the reports that you produce. Who needs them? IBM used to have a wonderful strategy a number of years ago. I, think, I don't know if they're still doing it. Every year or so, they would stop printing reports in their organization. Or if they did print them, they put them on a shelf somewhere and did not distribute them. And they waited for people to phone up and say, hey, I didn't get my report, in which case they would get that and would be run next month. If they didn't, if you didn't call in to say, where's my report, they stopped running it. Because obviously you don't need it. They would do this every couple of years. This allows you, this portfolio, to identify which systems you should be running. Several organizations have found out that they're running 5% of their computer resources on systems that no one uses. They're just still in the job stream. They still get run. But there was no reason to use them. As high as 5%. The problem lies in different areas. It's in the data. How many data tapes do you have? How many off-site backup storage? How many thousands of tapes do you have that don't have all the data? That don't have the digits? That have digit deficient dates? Do you have to go back and change them all? Does that have to be a part of your process? It's in the system itself. You saw it's in the PC system. When you do that exercise, it's crucial that you power off the machine and then power it up later. If you leave it running, it will just click over properly. Some fellow on a nice large mainframe decided that one of the things, ways to test his application, which he had just made year 2000 compliant, would be to fix his program, implement it, and then set the date on his computer to the year 2000 and re-IPL for nine, uh, January the 1st, year 2000. Trouble is, his computer was down for a week. It would not come up with that date. Something else on your PCs? Type in date press enter, and then type in 0101 slash the 00. In other words, just put two digits in for the date. It will come back and say invalid date. It will accept 99. It will accept 00. 99 shows up as 1999. 01 shows up as 1901. 
zero, zero is invalid. It won't allow you to put it in. If you put in zero, one, zero, one, two thousand, it will accept it. Some machines will even accept it after you power off and bring it back up. It'll continue with 2000. Others, every time you power off, it'll revert back to 1980. It depends on the system. And it's not just the clocks in the systems. How many IMS users in this room? If you want to do a, a checkpoint restart, be careful in the year 2000 because it can't. IBM is coming out with a fix in 1999, just in time for you to put your stuff together to take advantage of it. The way it keeps duplicates of the, uh, the records, it timestamps them. When it timestamps it with zero, zero, it figures that zero, zero is, of course, older than 99. Therefore, 99 is the right record and not zero, zero. Check with your IBM representative to find out the details. Unix, what was that? Right. 97 is due. Okay. News from the front here, it's, it's due to be fixed in 1997. That gives you three years. Mostly it's in the way we think. And it gets back to that, if my program won't be around in the year 2000, then I can do things with zero, zero that means something else. And that's the kicker when it comes to automating. Because that's the one that stops the automation process from actually working. How do you automate that? You need some way to identify end of file. That's how your program is written. Do you have to create another field? How do you set that field? How do you make sure that your files now have the right end of file marker? How do you automate that? And that's in the program code itself some of the assumptions that we make about dates. Anybody here know a little piece of code called the Zeller's Congruence? I finally tracked it down. It's an old piece of code. It may be in some of your systems. Zeller's Congruence is a date routine that if you give it the century and the year, the month and the day will return back the day of the week. Most systems, if you're not carrying the year, the programmer will have hard-coded 1900 the 19. They will have hard-coded that. I'm one of those guilty parties. In the year 2000, when I check up for the dates, I'm going to be looking for dates 1900 rather than 2000. Now what? Again, there are no magic solutions. And even if there were, if it would cost you $10 million maintenance to fix this problem, and I come up with a magic bullet, the be-all and end-all utility, I'm in a real good bargaining position when it comes to the price. You're not going to get it for anything less than $9 because I'll save you a million on the deal. Look at it another way. There are inventory products and I would, uh, automation products, and I would strongly suggest that you be intimately familiar with every one available because they will save you time. If you look on the left-hand side, the percentage of the task, inventorying the problem, analysis of what you have to do, con converting it, testing it, and then the migration, you can break it out 5, 25, 30, 35, and 5%, total of 100%. And we could have a nice beer and pretzels discussion as to the individual numbers.
They could all be up or down 5 or 10%. It doesn't really matter. The key is, is that the inventory part, where are all the dates in my 20 million lines of code, can be nicely automated. You can identify 80% of the occurrences. 80% of 5% represents a 4% savings on your project. That's the best effect you can get. Analysis, 10% of the 25, you can see the figures yourself. You can save up to 27, maybe 30% of your function, of the task that you have ahead of you. It still leaves 70% of a task that we estimated at 300 days of effort. If we had left it just as a digit deficient date, we wouldn't have a problem. Not this big anyway. But because we started using the date to indicate something else, we broke all the rules. We ran into a major problem. The other thing, this is a coordination effort. How many vendor products do you use in your organization? When are they scheduled to make the changes to their systems? How exactly will they be changing their systems? Will they be handing you a century code? Will they be handing you a four-digit year? Where will it appear in the data fields? How do you need to modify your systems to accept that? And one of the things about this whole problem is that every program puts data into your data stream that is picked up by some other program. You can't go ahead and change some upstream function, application, without having all the other systems ready to pick up the changes in the data stream. It is one of the largest conversion coordination projects you'll ever attempt. It is much more difficult than converting from one operating system to another or from one programming language to another. Because you have to change everything in your shop, basically, at the same time. Final thought, you don't have much time. But I would like to suggest you have a 50-minute audit that you can perform. Do the PC BIOS test. Set the date and time, power it off, come back a few minutes later, power it up, see what time it is. What's the impact on your user community? How many lands do you have up and running? Well, how many client server systems? If you're a retail organization, you're not in this place. You have point-of-sale terminals that are based on 286 technologies. In the year 2000, will they be time-stamping everything from the field correctly? The next one is to go to your input screens. Any input screen in your organization, accounts receivable, is a good place to start. If you are typing in two digits for the year, you have a problem because the data isn't sufficient. Go to your accounts, the aged report, the accounts receivable age reports, and check how it's sorted. Does there, is there a two-digit year there? Chances are it will be sorted incorrectly. If there's a four-digit year, don't assume that you don't have a problem on that aged report. I was a programmer once. Much of the data I dealt with didn't have century information. But my clients wanted century information. They wanted to see the 19. So I hard-coded it on the report and printed it out. If you see four digits on your aged report, don't assume that you don't have a problem. 
If you've got databases, is the date a part of the index key? Can it handle 00? zero? If you are using any type of barcoding, is the barcode including the date for inventory reasons? Does it include four digits or two? A barcode is like a Hollerith card. There's not much space there. Chances are it's two. Chances are you filled up your barcode. Can your inventory system handle zero, zero correctly? Because if it can't, now you have a problem. There isn't enough space on the barcode to add in the extra digit. So you have to create a new barcode. Which means if you're a retailer, you may have 10 million barcode tickets on all your inventory across North America that have to be untagged and reticketed. Some barcode systems use a check digit on the end. When you put 00 into the barcode, the check digit doesn't work. It fails. The routine crashes. One retailer has 15 million of these inventory tickets. It will not accept 00 because of the check digit routine. They need to reticket 15 million or they need to find a new check digit routine that is compatible with the old one and yet still handles 00 correctly. That's a mathematical nightmare. That may be solvable. What I've done is paint some horror stories. What you need to do is go back to your organization and find out where you are at risk. Because I can guarantee you, you are, unless you've been writing really good, clean code for the last 10, 15, 20 years. If you're at risk, what are you going to do about it? My final summary is that in the year 2000, I'm going on a holiday. Far, far away from computer systems. It affects everything we do. Does anybody know about GPS, global positioning systems, navigational systems? They use time as a part of figuring out where we are. I don't want to be in a plane when it goes into the year 2000 and all of a sudden decides that it's 500 miles away from where it should be and doesn't about face and land somewhere else. Does the computer in your car have a date routine? Is it like the computer sitting on that man's lap? Will it handle the switch over to the year 2000? If it doesn't, what will it do to your exhausted mission? I don't know. Until you start looking at your systems, neither will you. Thank you very much. I hope I've scared the out of you. I have some additional handouts, another article in one of the magazines here, plus some tapes if anybody wants to pick them up. <laughs> okay, smart move. I know, I know. I, I, I couldn't see you. I didn't, I didn't track you. You were off on the side. Don't worry about it. My God, look at this. There won't be any left. That's great. I, I don't know, I think so. For those of you on the internet, I have set up a mail list that you can subscribe to if you wish. Hi there. Hi. You're why I'm Hi. here today. <laughs> Thank You're why I'm here this week, to tell you the truth. How long will you be here? I'm here until tomorrow morning early. Okay. So I'm here I'm the rest of the day. I'm project manager for year 2000 for Sigma.
That, ladies and gentlemen, was the talk I used to label, inside my head, the two-by-four talk. It was uncompromising, it was relentless, and it was, I guess, stern. The goal was twofold. Either you listened to it and decided, yeah, we have a problem, I can see that we have a problem and we're going to go back and do something, or you walked out of it in a huff, basically thinking, I'm going to prove that Diogor is wrong. I'm going to demonstrate that he's talking out the top of his head, and we will go and test our systems, and we will report back. Either one sufficed. If you tested your systems and you didn't have a problem, I certainly didn't have a problem with that. There were systems that had no Y2K issues. Most did. And I had a single goal in mind, and that was to get people to look at it. So, those are the words that I spoke back in 1995 and 1996 and 1997 until we finally got to the point where I was able to write an article that said we had broken the back of Y2K. I don't know if you enjoyed it, but it's certainly a bit of history. So until next time, be safe, be good, and uh, keep listening. Spread the word. I'm sure there are a couple of people who will get a chuckle out of listening to that. Take care, folks. <laughs>